What's up, everybody? You're listening to Trail Tales. My name is Kyle O'Grady. I am a thru-hiker, I am a peak bagger, I am a huge hiking nerd, and every single week on this podcast, I chat with another thru-hiker, another peak bagger, and another hiking nerd about their experiences on the trail. Philip Karsha, he's back for his fourth episode of Trail Tales. It's, it's been a while since we talked, though, and for this episode, we really kind of wanted to take a step back before his single year grid and just talk about some of the stuff that he had done you know when he was first getting into hiking and some of his his previous through hikes and at the end of this episode folks philip tells one of the craziest stories that i've ever heard on the show like absolutely insane um he almost died and he he goes into detail i think it's uh it's it's a it's an entertaining story and obviously there there are things that we can all learn from it as well so definitely stay tuned until the end it was a great episode, and Philip, when you hear this, dude, I know we're going to do it again soon, so just thank you so, so much. Folks, I know you're sitting at home right now and not much to do, so you might as well take a second and go check out a couple things for me. First of all, my Instagram, at KyleHatesHiking. Go follow me on Instagram. The show's Instagram is at TrailTalesPod. If you like the show, feel free to send me a message on either one of those accounts and let me know or you can send me an email trailtalespod at gmail.com haven't plugged the uh, email in a while it feels like so yeah send me a message tell me what's good tell me some suggestions for guests and trails you'd like to cover go do that my youtube channel is kyle hates hiking go check that out i'll have a link in the show notes or if you just search kyle hates hiking on youtube you'll find all of my goofy ass videos and itunes go leave a five star itunes review for Trail Tales. That would be much appreciated. I will start reading them again at some point in these introductions, but in the meantime, go leave one. Make it even more difficult for me to get caught up with those. I would really appreciate that. It's a great way to help support the show. And with that said, let's do it, folks. I'm not going to hold you up any longer. Let's get into episode number 72 of Trail Tales with Philip Karsha. What's up, everybody? Episode 72 of Trail Tales. Right now, Philip Karsha is back on the show. Uh, this is our fourth episode, I guess. It, it's kind of weird for me because the fir- the second and the third one like blended together because we did that like on the fly, like, fuck it, let's just do two episodes kind of thing. But uh, now, dude, here we are. Philip, what's up, man? Thanks for coming back on. Kyle, my man, what's going on? It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I can't believe that this is... Um the big episode number four, right before we started recording, I was uh, just kind of poking at you asking um, which which guest had been on your show the most amount of times or, or, uh, you know, which guest has been uh, interviewed the most amount of times. And you were telling me it was, it was your boy and we were thinking he's been on four or five times. So um, (laughs) yeah, I'm, I'm just coming for heads out here, Kyle. You already know. Yeah, dude. Well, <laughs> fortunately, you've done plenty of stuff. I don't think we're probably ever going to run out of shit to talk about. So it will not, not be the last Philip episode. I can I can guarantee that. I hope not. It won't be. But dude, I don't have any questions planned or anything for these episodes. See, like our first couple ones, like back then, because it's been you know over a year now, or at least a year since our first episode. I think it was yeah, it was like April, maybe end of April last year. 
And, um, dude, I'm, like, trying to look at these, like, the Instagram thing at the same time. It's, like, fucking me up. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Multitasking. Yeah. Uh, Dude, back then, I would would just come with a bunch of questions, not just for you, but for all my guests. But I don't have anything right now. Wow. And I, I, I have absolutely no doubt about being able to fill an hour with you because... Like, dude, you've got, like I said just a minute ago, you've done so much stuff, and you're also a pretty damn good talker. You are, you are like a podcaster's dream, <laughs> Philip, because I'm always worried when I do these episodes. I guess this hasn't really ever happened, so I shouldn't be worried, but I'm always worried that my guest is just going to give, like, one-word answers, and I'm going to, like, struggle to come up with shit to talk about for an hour. But uh, with you, it's quite the opposite. I feel like if I did write down questions, we wouldn't even be able to get to all of them because we just go tangent after tangent and uh, story <laughs> after story. So I'm excited, man. Kyle, man, all these compliments. I don't know what to do with them, man. I, I hope I live up to the hype here. You're 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 building this up to be to be massive. I hope I got uh, some some good some good tales to tell. You will be good, dude. Well, I guess the rough plan. I like I said, I don't have any questions, specific questions, but the rough plan is to just. Uh, Talk about Philip's experience pre-single year grid. So mm-hmm. all of our, our episodes previous to this one have been about the single year grid. Makes sense, mm-hmm. um, obviously, given the timing and stuff. But you've done so much stuff before that. And I haven't really ever had the chance to hear you talk about that. And and I'm sure a lot of people would be curious to hear about that as well. So, dude, where should... Where should we start? Uh, you, you've probably said this before on our, on our first episode, but what was your first, like... Besides the Mid-State Trail, I guess, what was your first, like, a long, long, like, thru-hike? I mean, that was kind of it, man. That was, like, the beginning of so many things for me. Um, I mean, like I've I've mentioned in your podcasts and in in many other podcasts and in almost every single-year grid presentation that I've given, I, I climbed my first mountain at the age of 16 in central Massachusetts. I grew up in the city of Worcester. The first mountain that I climbed was Mount Wachusett, small little hill, in central Massachusetts, uh, central Massachusetts, beautiful little hill in central Massachusetts. And that just gave me such a unique perspective moving forward in terms of, you know, how I wanted to spend my time, how I wanted to focus my energy. It was really, um, it was, you know, a beginning before a beginning, so to speak. I mean, this was 10 years before I hiked the Mid-State Trail. The Mid-State Trail came uh, in 2006. It was my first uh, truly long distance hike, uh, or, or what was supposed to be, uh, my first truly long distance hike. Yes. I had started hiking it at the age of 16. Yes. I had spent the better part of my, my late teens and early twenties kind of, um, yeah, traveling around central Massachusetts, traveling up to the white mountains, cutting my teeth, making mistakes, learning just a, a whole bunch of, uh, you know, what it, what it took or learning a whole bunch about what it took to, you know, spend, spend time in the mountains, um, and, and, and feeling comfortable while you're doing that. Um, but it, but it wasn't until 2006, it wasn't until I set out to walk the Mid-State Trail that I ever had any really long distance hiking experience. You know, all my trips in Massachusetts, all my hikes in Massachusetts, all my hikes in the New Hampshire, whether they were a day or, or maybe two or three days at the most, you know, they, they paled in comparison to what the, what the Mid-State Trail was supposed to be like. Because of course, the Mid-State Trail, um, of, of course, it's um, well, for pe- you know, people who don't know or her- people who aren't familiar, the Mid-State Trail is um, a 92-mile route across central Massachusetts. It starts at the, the border of New Hampshire and um, in north central Massachusetts, goes down to the Rhode Island border in southern central Massachusetts, and it, you know, it stretches the entire state uh, top to bottom. And you know, it's, uh, it's not 
plentiful in topography. It's not it's not necessarily plentiful in, in challenges. It's a, it's a pretty easy hike, but um, you know, it was the first time that um, as a hiker, as a backpacker, uh, I had ever stared down, you know, a, a week long trip, a, a hundred mile trip, regardless of how challenging or how easy it was supposed to be. It was it was truly my first um, my first brush with the long distance uh, hiking experience. And, um, you know, that that trip, like I kind of alluded to that trip uh, went uh, south very early. Uh, like I said, it's a it was it's a 92 mile route across Massachusetts uh, across Massachusetts, and I I lasted about 30 miles on that trip before I had to <laughs> before I had to actually uh, throw in the towel um, and 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 call it a day. And um, you know the the reason for that was just um, you know just being very ill prepared. Um, even though it was only 92 miles, even though it was through central Massachusetts, even though there was something like 6,000 feet of vertical, you know. Um, for the entire, for the entire uh, hike, for all intents and for all intents and purposes, this you know this is a very easy long distance hike. I was just very ill prepared. Dude, and every every time I hear you like tell this story, it just reminds me so much of my situation with the long trail. We we, we like, have talked about this. Oh a yeah, bit. I dude, think we it, talked about this in the first episode. In the first I mean, one, yeah, it's it's just so similar. Like thirty miles home state trail. Like had no clue what I was doing. Totally fucked it up. But went back to do it a second time, which I well, know. I, and you were on the long trail. Is that that that's correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, and this is cool for anybody who's listening, you can jump onto my my Instagram page, finding Philip, and I've got a picture of myself at the start of this hike. Um, pretty pretty iconic picture. I'm, uh, you know, standing outside of my my house at the time in cargo shorts. I've got <laughs> you know super super tall white white socks on with some Adidas shoes. I've got a North Face cotton tee. Uh, I'm sorry, Abercrombie and Fitch cotton tee. I've got a North Face hat on, and I've got a 55 liter uh, EMS Summit backpack, expedition backpack, uh, filled to the brim with a bunch of unnecessary stuff to walk 92 I'm, miles. I'm going to use that photo in the thumbnail for this. You know what? I think episode. I think <laughs> people are going to be like, "Who the hell is this scrub?" <laughs> we we talked about uh, using the thumbnail of me on Mount Whitney. I think actually oh, the true. more appropriate thumbnail should be of me. Uh, in 2006, at the beginning of the Midstay Trail, rocking Abercrombie and Fish, Adidas <laughs> shoes, and a, a North Face, uh, a North Face hat. That that would be very very funny. So um, good, so good. I was just yeah, man. I was uh, I was not well researched. I was not well prepared, and uh, you know, went out there and immediately started getting blisters, and um, couldn't set my my tarp up that I kind of made, and um, you know, the weight of my backpack was just insane, and it was unlike anything I'd ever done, and um, you know that. That unfortunately forced me off the trail uh, on the on the midstate trail after after thirty miles. But I I look back on that man and again uh, of all the the same way all of those very early experiences were were for, you know formative and and full of knowledge. Um, you know the the midstate trail in two thousand six was um, very much the same way. I mean, it was mm -hmm. a huge learning experience. Mm -hmm. It's it's crazy. Like first time through hikes and and back even even back just backpacking trips. Like, I, I feel like it either goes one of two ways. You either, either way, it probably is going to suck, but you either get like super inspired from that, kind of like it sounds like we did. Um, we're like, okay, well, I want to improve and be able to have a better time doing this and actually be able to do this successfully. Or you just are like, this sucks, like, fuck this, and then you just never do it again. So, so I'm glad to hear that we both had a similar experience there. I'm glad to hear that we both went on to continue to pursue not just hiking, but long distance hiking and through hiking. And, and I just think that's so awesome. And I just love how similar our stories are there, dude. 
I was going to ask you to go forward a little bit. So let's talk. I I, I want to hear like about. I think was it the AT? Was that the like the first like long long distance through hike you did? So I, I went back and you know after I very humbly succumbed to the uh, the brutality of the Mid State Trail in 2006, I, I went back that summer, that same summer, and I, I finished the trail up the last 70 miles or the last 60 miles in sections, 10 mile day hikes. And then the following summer, you know, like you kind of just spoke on, I mean, I obviously recognized my shortcomings. Um, I accepted the fact that I had a lot of, uh, a lot of things uh, to learn. I had a, a lot of um, pointers that I needed to take. And I went back that following summer and I took on the long trail. So in 2007, that following summer, that was my first real continuous, I didn't quit I made it, you know, all the way. I stuck it out, you know, multiple resupplies, you know, zero days, the whole nine yards. That was my first real um, continuous, first real successful continuous through hike. And then obviously based off of that experience, you know, my life continued to change and and go into a very uh, specific direction. And that following year, uh, so two years after I hiked, you know, the the Mid-State Trail, the following summer after I hiked the Long Trail, I got on... um, I got on the AT headed northbound in 2008, and that was, you know, my first 2,000 mile plus effort, my first multi month backpacking project. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and really just the the solidification that this was something I was gonna right, spend right. Uh, a good portion of my life doing. So, how did you feel when you first got on the AT? Because our like, again, like so much is similar here. Of course, our later stories are very different, but uh, but the beginning here, it's like. The long trail, I guess, and the mid-state trail too, but like the long trail just being like your first solid, like, you know, through hike, I guess, before you hit the AT, like, how did you feel like that prepared you? Because that was the same thing for me. The long trail was the only, um, like, you know, proper through hike I had done before I, I hit the AT. So I felt like I was pretty freaking prepared and I know it was a different time back then too, but I'm just curious to hear you talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I I am um, I am like any normal human being out there. I am, you know, riddled with self doubt at certain points, and 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 riddled riddled with a, a real uh, strong determination and confidence at at certain times. And I remember, um, you know, when I finished the uh, the long trail, I just was at such a high, such a peak. I I you know felt very confident and and going into going into the Appalachian Trail, making the decision that I was going to go ahead and hike the Appalachian Trail the next year. I mean, you know, that, that was done with, uh, you know, again, a certain amount of confidence that this was something I could, I could absolutely do. But of course, over time, even though, you know, there was, there was really, really not uh, that, that much time or that many months in between when I finished the, the, the Long Trail and started the Appalachian Trail, you know, I finished the Long Trail in September and I started the AT in April. Um, you know, it's, it's funny how getting settled back into the day to day of normal life and, and, you know, getting comfortable again and having the, the hardships of the trail, the hardships of through, through hiking start to kind of, um, you know, rust away, so to speak. It's, it's crazy how you can start to question yourself again. And it's, it's crazy how you can start to, um, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, look at yourself and wonder, you know, is this something that I can actually go out and do? But, but of course there is this thing in the back of you saying, well, like, you, you know, you did it once. And if, if you hiked, you know, 270 miles on the long trail and, and felt okay afterwards, like all you got to do is just, you know, do that, you know, nine more times. Yeah, or, rinse or, and repeat. You know, exactly. Um, and so there was this air of confidence, you know, e- even through the self doubt where 
it was like, um, you know, I, I think this is something that I can do. And I think this is something that I can actually do well. And again, regardless of, of how difficult it was going to be and regardless of how many, um, you know, how many moments of, of self-doubt kind of, kind of, um, popped up in, in, in the lead up to starting, it, it always kind of felt like this was my path. And, um, I, I don't know, man, I think if you're, I, I'm a realist at heart, you know, so going into anything with a, with a hundred percent confidence, going into anything and saying, uh, this is exactly what I'm going to do. And this is exactly how it's going to happen. There's just too many variables in life. And when you're talking about through hiking, when you're talking about multi multi-month projects, I mean, there's just too many variables. So, um, you know, I make these plans and I go, I start these projects with a certain amount of confidence, a certain amount of self doubt, but always knowing that, um, you know, what, what, what happens at the end, I mean, is only so much in my self-control. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting. I think I've, I think that's the way that I felt going into the AT and that's also kind of the way that I felt with every single project that I've taken on, you know, cause you just, no matter how much confidence you get, no matter how much you knock out, it's like, whew, you know, you just, you can't, you can't help but get a little, uh, little grip before you, you you bite off something really big before you bite off something that's just like way bigger than yourself what um what was like the time frame for your for your at through hike because it, it's it's rare that i talk to someone who has done so much shit that they just like like i just haven't talked to him about through hiking the at yet mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah i'm yeah, just yeah. kind of curious you know to try to, to learn some more of those details i guess yeah and, totally and we'll get um, into uh, some of the the later stuff as we go on here yeah sure um, I mean, the, the AT through hike was super pedestrian. And I know that I've said this on your podcast in the, in the past, you know, the majority of the hiking that I do is very pedestrian and that's not meant to be, you know, uh, an insulting term by, by any means. But like I said, guys, like I'm, I'm a very average, uh, very average human. Um, I, I don't identify as an athlete, um, r regardless of some of the, you know, some of the, the days and some of the projects that I've been able to pull off. Um, but I just... I, I don't know, man. I, I just kind of feel as though um, ah, it, it, it's, it's, kind, it's kind of hard to explain a bit. I mean, it just kind of feel as though um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not an athlete and I, um, I'm, I'm the same as anybody else just in terms of uh, my level of capacity and um, you know, it's just the, the difference is, is that um, I don't know. Um, I, I spend um, more time these days going going after uh, yeah I, I guess you would say more more aggressive projects but the, but the AT was very pedestrian I mean I think I finished that trail in maybe five five months five months two days I think was my my total time so very pedestrian the PCT five and a half months you know the the long trail that was you know 2007 that was one of the first um, the first trips that I took it was you know 20, 27, uh, 27 day. Uh, hike just like very normal, you know, very pedestrian, very average, um, which is which is great because you you have that genuine traditional through hiking experience, um, and yeah, the the Appalachian Trail was very much that way. Five, yeah. five months five months felt like super comfortable to me, man. I I wasn't like rushing through anything. I was putting in the miles that I wanted to um, every day. I ended up taking like twenty one zero days. You know what I mean? So I had plenty of time off during <laughs> that during that hike. Um, and like, I think if you look at actual like, um, hiking days, it's something like a 15 mile per day average. But if you look at like overall elapsed, yeah, yeah. elapsed days, it's like even less than that. It's like pretty chill, you know? I mean, it's, 
that's how a lot of people get started, man. It, oh, if, yeah. it, if it weren't for those more pedestrian experiences, I don't necessarily think like I would be able to appreciate like some of the faster hiking, you know, some of the more aggressive, mm-hmm. some of the more aggressive hiking. So sort of yeah, thing. dude, it makes, it makes a lot of sense for sure. So I guess while we're talking about the Appalachian trail, um, you know, there's the, the reason I went for that at the beginning of this episode and tr- initially tried to get you to gloss over the Midstate Trail was because, uh, <laughs> was because there's a big difference between, you know, a 90 mile hike and a 2000 plus mile hike. Um, and, yes. and again, that's not to deny the fact that the Midstate Trail is a through hike or the long trail for that matter. Um, certainly through hikes, but yeah, there's just, there's just a big difference there. And you know, it sounds like you kind of didn't really stop after the AT and right. it kind of just set you off on this trajectory. So can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's, there's a big difference between 92 miles on the midstay trail, um, and 275 miles on the long trail. And then, you know, nearly 2,200 miles on the Appalachian trail. I mean, the, the midstay trail certainly led to the, to the long trail, the, the long trail certainly led to the the Appalachian Trail, but the Appalachian Trail, you know, stepping foot onto that thing, man, it was just such a, um, it was just such a wild formative experience. I can't help but compare it to, you know, stepping onto Mount Wachusett, you know, for the first time mm. when I was, when I was 16, it just felt so big. Um, it just felt so, so much bigger than myself. And, um, you know, I learned, I learned right off the bat, um, that, that I was going to need to be, uh, flexible when I was, when I was through hiking the Appalachian trail, when I, when I was taking a bus down to Georgia, my, my full kit, my entire backpack, uh, got, uh, misplaced in like a, a bus transfer. It never, <laughs> it never got off my bus. You know, these, these bus drivers, these Greyhound bus drivers are responsible for moving your luggage and what have you. It never, never ma- made it off the bus, um, from one bus to another and end up showing down, you know, showing up in Georgia with, with no backpacking kit, no nothing but the clothes on my backpack, you know, the clothes on my back and a, and a wallet. Um, so I learned very quickly that, um, you know, learned very quickly that I was going to need to remain flexible and just kind of roll with the punches. Before you, know, I had, you even got to the trail down. Yeah, yeah, it was, dude, it was insane, you know, and, 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 and also at the same time, it also taught me just how incredible the, the long distance hiking community was, because as soon as I got to that hostel, as soon as word started to spread around, you know, like the hostel, what was going on, you know, immediately this person comes out of the woodwork. This person comes out of the woodwork. Oh dude, like I have a friend who can send a tent up. Oh dude, I have this extra, you know, thing Damn. you can, and just starting to like build a kit for me basically. And mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't really want any of their stuff. I just wanted my kit cause I knew what I needed and I knew what I had kind of got dialed in from right, being right. on the long trail. But, um, it was just, you know, an incredible way to start the trip, man. And, 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 you know, as we all kind of know, as anybody who knows who's been on a through hike, you know, the, the universe kind of opens up to you when you put yourself in a, an environment where anything is possible, like on a through hike, you know, like, like on an, you know, like in an experience where you're walking through the mountains, walking through the woods for six months. I mean, you just kind of, um, you, you experience these larger than life moments, these very serendipitous moments. And that was really what, what my entire Appalachian trail through hike was. I mean, I just met the most kind hearted, gracious, people on that trip, the most, you know, iconic long distance hikers on that trip, the, the most, um, you know, hum, humble and, 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 um, and, you know, beginner kind of like not novice hikers and everybody in between, man. And, mm-hmm. and it was just, um, such an incredible experience to be out there for, for, for five months and to, um, you know, really see the East coast for the first time from such a, from such a unique perspective. I mean, oh this yeah. Is, oh dude. 
For sure. Is, that was that is... was that was honestly a reason why I liked it so much is because I love geography and yes. you know it's like I just get to you you literally just said it. I'm gonna say the same thing like you just get to experience the East Coast in such a unique in such a unique way and I I think that's a I think that was a, a, a really important thing for me too on the AT and something that I feel like I'm kind of going to miss on future through hikes just because I'm not as like personally invested in the West Coast, for instance. But speaking of the West Coast, dude, um, after the AT, yes. so kind of getting back to this idea of like the projectory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I said that weird projectory, whatever. Well, uh, <laughs> here's the thing. Is, is it projectory or is it trajectory? I think it might be trajectory, honestly, dude. I don't want to, Kyle, I don't want to correct you, man. I'm pretty sure you're right, though. I, you should correct me because as, I, 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 what did I, I'm on the video I posted today, I like mispronounced the word advantageous, I think it is. Advantageous. I, I, advent, see, there we go. I said, it, I said, it, I said advantageous. Oh my, oh I nice. Completely unironically did oh not realize God. that I said it wrong. Edited the whole video, did not realize that it said it wrong. It wasn't until like five minutes before we started recording that my roommates had watched the video and were making fun of me for it that, that I realized, but. Did <laughs> so you go back and re-record it or no? No, nah, it it's already uploaded, man. Love it's it, uploaded. dude. It's already I got love, a thousand views. <laughs> love it. No going love back it. now. But anyways, love dude, uh, trajectory. Trajectory. Uh, post post AT. What was next after that? Um, so after the Appalachian Trail, uh, definitely needed to get some funds back in my pocket. Obviously, um, you know, after not working for five months, and the following summer, there there wasn't necessarily uh, enough money in the bank, so to speak, to go out and do another long, um, you know, multi thousand mile hike, something like the PCT mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. or the CDT, because both of those trails were absolutely on my radar. Uh, coming off of the AT, um, but but knowing I didn't necessarily have the the money to fund something like that, uh, what became more um, feasible was you know just something out west, something maybe a month or two long, um, and and so yeah, after the Appalachian Trail that that following summer, uh, I went out and and flew to Colorado for the first time. Um, actually, I didn't fly. I took a I took a fifty two hour bus ride greyhound Ooh, bus ride that's brutal man dude uh, we could do a whole podcast on um multi-state greyhound bus travel because i have some of the most wild stories you can possibly imagine uh from from driving the greyhound bus you know you know up and down the east coast all the way over to california um at certain points but but on this particular trip it was a, it was a 52 hour greyhound ride to to Colorado and I ended up taking on the Colorado trail with uh, one of my best friends, um, Andrew bones. And, uh, yeah, that, that was a 480 mile hike from Denver to Durango, uh, across the Rocky mountains. Um, and that was my first, that was my first taste of the American West. That was my first time, uh, being in the Western United States. That was my first time on Western trails, hiking on Western trails, backpacking on Western trails, this was the first time that I was ever at elevation. So, um, you know, when we talk about the trajectory, I mean, it, it really was just small step by small step by small step. I mean, a lot of, you know, most of the people on my Instagram page, most of the people in Facebook, most of like my quote unquote new friends, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they know me for the single year grid yeah, yeah. and they know me for this, this wild ambitious project that I, that I took on. What they don't realize is that I'm 35 years old and that I've been, you know, hiking for almost 20 years now and, and, you know, hi- hiking and, and backpacking for, 
you know, the, 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 the better part of, of 15, 16 years. And so um, this has all been just a, a progression, a lead up. It's been, you know, um, taking on one project, letting all of your preconceived notions of what, you know, what you think you're, you're capable of, watching all those walls crumble down, taking on the next project, the same thing, go beyond, you know, go, go beyond your comfort zone, watch all those preconceived notions, you know, crumble down, get that personal growth you were looking for, take on the next project. And mm-hmm, it, it mm-hmm. started with the mid-state, went to the long trail, went to the Appalachian trail, you know, went to the, went to the, um, the Colorado trail, which of course is much shorter than, than the AT, but those experiences were just as valuable, just as hard fought, just as, um, just as difficult to, to get through because like, I'd never been out West before. I'd never been at elevation. Like I was getting chewed up and spit out up there, man. Like I'm a, you know, I'm an East Coast boy trying Dude, to go up to so fourteen thousand feet. Let me ask you about that. So again, I'm 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 like the same thing. I'm an East Coast boy. I hardly ever hiked out west. Never backpacked out west. So what were like some of the challenges you faced on the Colorado Trail? Um, you know, at the beginning, say, you know, as a as a self proclaimed East Coast boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the the Western United States is just dry as hell, man. You know, and and like. Yes, of course, on certain sections of the Colorado Trail, you're, you're up at elevation and what have you. Um, and there's, you know, big portion toward the end, the San Juan Mountains, where you're at an average elevation of, you know, 10,000 feet for, Damn. Um, for yeah, like a, a, good, a good portion of, of, of a very significant stretch. Um, but right off the bat, leaving Denver, Denver you're in kind of uh, more arid, not, not necessarily high, high desert, but you're in kind of like the outskirts of the, of the big mountains. And so... It's very dry. It's very dusty. Um, it's very exposed. So you're just out in the sun a ton, which obviously coming from the East Coast is not something that I was that I was used to. And and even the the lower parts of that trail, man, you're still traveling seven, eight thousand feet. Now, like I'm not feeling huge, huge, you know, issues with altitude at, at seven or or eight thousand feet. But I mean, you know, you start going up in small increments from there. And at least for me, you start to feel it 10,000 feet, mm-hmm. 11,000 feet, 12,000 feet. It definitely inhibits your physical capacity. At least so you get, you know, you get acclimatized. Um, so, I mean, right off the bat going to the, the, the Western United States, it was just very dry. I felt very dehydrated. I felt like I was, you know, baking in the sun all day. I felt like I wasn't as powerful as I was used to, as I was used to being as a hiker because I was, I was at altitude and, and also, you know, in the Western United States, especially in places like Colorado and especially, you know, places like Washington and parts of California, I mean, you know, the resupplies and what have you and the long distance trails out there are just like so much longer or, mm-hmm. you know, they, I just, they feel so much longer than some of the stuff on the AT, some of the stuff on the West coast, uh, on the, on the East coast, just because, you know, the structure that we have here, the foundation that we have, that we have here is so prevalent uh, in terms of our trail networks. It's yeah, like, yeah. there's some insane statistic or some insane number uh regarding the at like how many the average average distance between roads on the at is something like seven miles yeah or something <laughs> like that it, it's insane man i mean the, and that's great but like you know the structure is there then you go out to the west coast on the colorado trail or like the even further on the west coast something like the, the high sierra and it's like you're going 100 miles you're going you know 150 miles sometimes like on your, on your, uh, you know, between resupplies. And then when you actually do get to a major highway, you got to hitchhike 30 miles into town. I mean, it just, everything felt bigger, man. Going out to Colorado, everything felt bigger. I was on a bus. I left the East coast and you know, the, the, the Eastern mountains disappeared. The Rocky mountains, 
uh, came into vision and just the whole through hiking experience felt way, way bigger. Um, and when I finished the long trail, I'm sorry, when I finished the Colorado trail, you know, I definitely, you know, spent 35 hard one days out there and, um, yeah, I, I I knew the ultra the ultimate trajectory was the PCT, mm-hmm. but walking walking away from that experience, you know the, the the Colorado Trail, I was like, okay, when when I actually do bite that off, it's it's this is going to be a real challenge. Not that the AT wasn't, not that the Long Trail wasn't or the Colorado Trail, but, but based on the on the on the experience uh, or based off of my experience on the Colorado Trail, just dealing with the with the Western storms, man. You know you know what I mean? Like like being in the Rockies above tree line. And and just having thunderstorms come in scares every, the shit out of me, dude. It's insane, I've man. I've talked about it, that on the show before. Like, fuck that. That scares the shit out it's, of me. It's intimidating, and it's like clockwork. And it's like in, on the East Coast, it's like, cool, dude. Let's roll into a shelter and hunker down, you know, or let's get into our. But it's like, you know, on the on the West Coast, it's like, holy shit, you just got to like make a mad dash for you know for tree line for the cl- for the closest uh, closest part of the trail where you're going to be out of harm's way because it is very exposed. And, and so, um, yeah, based off of those experiences, I knew when it was time to step up to the plate and take on the PCT, it was going to just be really, really tough. And, um, that, that, that came to fruition, man. Um, just, just about a year later, I I do want to point this one, this one thing out, uh, because we're, we're kind of talking about this time frame in my life. And because this is a chapter that I, I don't even know if I've ever talked about publicly on like a podcast or given in an interview, but, um, went on a very cool adventure after the Colorado trail in 2009. So, um, planned on being out in Colorado for about two months, but it took my buddy bones and I, you know, just, just over 30, 30 days to complete the Colorado trail. And, uh, my big dream at that point in my life had always been to go to Alaska. I just wanted to go to Alaska. I didn't care. Like, what I did up there, I didn't care how much money I had or, or didn't have. I just wanted to like go to Alaska, dude, and like say that I went to Alaska. There was just like, you know, obviously this huge mystique around Alaska, oh, the, yeah. you know, the great north and the culture up there. And I just wanted to go Alaska, it, go to Alaska. And I was on like a, just a real heavy wave after coming off the Colorado Trail, just kind of beating my chest a little bit, having these big experiences. Then, you know, at that point for the first time in my life, really feeling like I I was starting to develop like a, a just like a nice through hiking resume, you know, the Mid-State Trail, the Long Trail, the AT, the Colorado Trail. Um, it was just like I, I felt like I was, uh, you know, I felt like I was kind of taking steps towards being the person or becoming the the person that I wanted to be. And I had always wanted to go to Alaska and having an extra month on my hands. I was like, I somehow convinced my buddy Bones. Um, I was like, dude, let's just take a month, try to hitchhike to Alaska and see how long it takes us and like see like if we can get all the way there right like like let's just see what happens and i have no idea how was how i was able to convince this man to like you know go along and and try this thing out with me um but we finished the colorado trail in a in a town in southwestern colorado called durango and we had some contacts in the area that drove us from Durango in Southwest Colorado, all the way across Colorado, all the way across Wyoming, into a tiny little corner of southeastern Montana uh, called Sweetgrass, Montana. And they dumped us off on the side of the road. And we had big signs with our through hiking kits <laughs> and, our, and our guitars. And we had big signs that just said north you know, no, very cryptic, just North. This is where we need to go. Um, 
And it was a blazing hot day and we stepped out onto the side of the highway and we watched our friends disappear on the interstate. And we were like, dude, I have no idea like what this is going to be, you know, what this is going to be like. And um, literally, dude, we have the signs up for 20 minutes. Gentleman pulls over in a brand new truck, you know, the cushion, you know, the the cushiest ride you can possibly imagine. Walk over to the window. Hey, how you doing, man? Um, you know, we're trying to we're trying to get up to Glacier National Park. So that was our first stopping point. We had a friend working in Glacier National Park, and um, you know, she was going to put us up for the night, and then we were going to cross the border with her. And I said, we're trying to get to Glacier National Park. It was, um, I think, it was nine hours away from where we were. And he said, well, I'm going to I'm going to Missoula. That'll that'll get you eight hours. Yeah. And it was just like, oh my God, are you kidding? You know, like what are the what are the chances? I mean, just like this. You know, the first the first dude that pulls over is going eight hours in the direction that we're we're planning on going in a, in a beautiful air conditioned you know brand <laughs> new truck very cool dude you know tr- treating us to food and we we spent I think fifteen days man hitchhiking three thousand miles from Sweetgrass Montana over the Canadian border through British Columbia through the Yukon Territory and eventually made it to Fairbanks Alaska and then from there we hitchhiked all across the state. Um, hiked all across the state, lived on the beach for uh, a couple weeks in Homer on the Homer on the Homer Spit, and it was uh, yeah one of I mean we could do a whole podcast on that man. That trip was super formative, super mind blowing. Seeing Alaska for the first time was incredible. I've since been back uh, for a second time, and um, yeah, man, like these are the kinds of experiences I was having out there, dude. Like these were the kinds of uh, pieces of life that I really felt like I wanted to. Um, you know, ha- have have uh, um, a part of my story, a part of my personal narrative. I was very conscious of the idea at that point, and, and still, of course, today. But but super conscious at that point in my life that, you know, from the second you wake up in the morning, um, to to the second you close your eyes at nights, you know, you had this really really incredible opportunity to contribute to your personal narrative. And I was just super hungry to you know keep writing that thing at that point. Dude, Alaska sounds sweet. I've... Let's go to Alaska, Kyle. Dude, let's go to Alaska. Dude, let's hitchhike to Alaska, man. I'll hitchhike from, from <laughs> the white. I don't know Alaska. No, 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 dude. You're, you got to <laughs> listen. Hear me. This this is the same It'd response I got. make a hell of a good YouTube video. That's listen, sure. this was the same response that I got from my buddy Bones uh, uh, initially. Well, I don't know about hitchhiking, man. Let's just fly. But give me a couple months, Kyle, as soon as this quarantine lifts, dude. You and I are going to be on the road. Mark my words. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully my uh, my mom and my employer are not listening. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, forget. We'll have to edit this part out. <laughs> nah, dude, that's crazy. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I didn't know about that at all. That's the first time I've ever heard about that. Yeah, yeah, good time. And then, you know, when I when I finished that up, it was like immediately, you know, my buddy Bones and I were looking at each other and it was like, okay, walked across Colorado together. Okay, hitchhiked up to, uh, up to Alaska together um let's let's start the pct together man you know we we didn't have any and we didn't have any solid plans to walk the whole thing side by side we just knew that we were two kids who really wanted to bite off something like the pct and Mm -hmm. we just knew that uh you know we we had similar styles similar humor similar um you know nostalgia for uh, just, you know, because kind of being, being in the mountains and, and moments past, so to speak. And he's just a, a great friend and a great hiking partner. And we decided to, uh, decided to, to start the PCT together that following, that following April, um, after, after finishing the Colorado trail and had checking to Alaska the, 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 the fall before. And how long did you guys hike together on the PCT? Um, Bones and I hiked together solid pretty much every day. I would say 
all the way into the Sierra. So give or take like the first eight or 900 miles. So pretty good um, chunk though. Yeah. A, a good chunk. Uh, in, in the Sierra, we started to get into this habit of, you know, uh, if there was one mis- mismatch in terms of uh, Bones and I, it was just he likes to sleep in or at that point he liked to sleep in and I like to get up and put in miles early. Mm-hmm. I've, I've always been that way. And, um, you know, so inevitably, uh, I'd, I'd be, I'd be ready to call it quits, um, earlier and he'd be, he'd be more, you know, more willing to, or more likely to walk on. And it, um, just kind of got to a point where there were days where I was starting before him, you know, we camp in the same place. I'd start before him and, uh, he'd catch up or pass me that night, you know, and we'd have dinner together and he'd move on. And then the next morning I'd catch up to him and wake him up and be like, yo dude, get going. And then he'd catch me. So um, at that point, we started to kind of uh, get separated a bit, and you know that's going to happen, man. I mean, oh, that's yeah. one of my oh, that's yeah. one of my best friends, and when you're both experienced and both comfortable in the mountains, it's just like you know that's gonna that's gonna happen. Um, so we uh, we hiked pretty much every day together the first thousand miles, and then I would say for like the second thousand miles, you know, um, we were kind of on and off. We do huge sections together and then maybe break up for a couple days here and there. I think like the longest we, time we ever spent apart was about two weeks. But I always knew where he was, you know, and he always yeah, knew yeah. And where you were always I was. Close. And it was like there were so many days, dude, where it was like I was so close to catching him. And then like, I don't know, the thrill of the chase kind of like wore off. And I'm like, oh, I'll <laughs> let these boys get ahead a little bit. Just knowing, you know, that I knew that I was close and, you know, within a quarter day hike or a half day hike. Um, it was kind of cool to play, play those games. And then, um, when we got to the bridge of the gods, which is, uh, which is at the Columbia river, you know, you cross over into Washington, um, just because of my schedule, I had to get home and, uh, get to a friend's wedding. Um, I, the, the I classic downfall of a through hike, the wedding, you're not downfall. I know you still finished, but freaking did so many times on the AT, just like people had to just adjust their schedules and well, shit because of and weddings. Well, and it's really funny because it wasn't just attending a wedding. I was presiding over this wedding. So yeah, pretty important. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I was presiding over the wedding of two friends who I met on the AT and who also oh, met damn. each other on the Appalachian trail. So this was a really important wedding that I committed to like right at the beginning of my through hike. So um, couldn't bail on it. And yeah, I ended up walking all of Washington without bones. So I, I would say that we walked, you know, uh, maybe like a good, probably half, half the, half the PCT together, man. Nice dude. I, w- I was just curious because, you know, it's always interesting when people start a through hike together. Now I know it's, it's also different when you're two experienced hikers starting together who have a similar pace versus two inexperienced hikers yes. or one experienced hiker and one inexperienced hiker. I don't know if you can hear my smoke alarm going off in the background there i heard but, uh, a little i heard a little, <laughs> little i heard a little beep beep, beep. I, I wasn't quite sure what was going on kyle yeah, I didn't know the, if you had uh, a, a new pet over over <laughs> in your residence or, or <laughs> what's going on dude so normally i usually give like five or ten minutes for an end of episode story but yes dude you can you can talk and just based on the picture uh the picture which everybody is going to know about in just a minute um yes or possibly probably already probably already saw because i'm gonna i'm actually gonna use that one for the uh for the thumbnail for the episode ah, so love it love so it. uh yeah dude the whitney story let's hear it my whitney yeah so this is uh you know this is a story that i've written a little bit about on the finding philip facebook page i've written a little bit about it on the instagram uh the instagram page the finding philip instagram page but i've never talked about it openly in an interview or in a podcast. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to telling this 
telling the story. Hell this yeah. is um, uh, it'd be it'd be easy to look at this story as kind of a low light of my my hiking experiences, but I but I truly see it as a high, highlight because um, like so many of the experiences we've talked about tonight, it was very uh, very formative, and was just chock full of of very valuable life lessons that I've that I've taken with me moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the story that I want to tell you is about uh, the afternoon that I nearly died on the shoulder of Mount Whitney. Mount Whitney is the highest peak in the contiguous uh, 48, so the highest peak in the lower 48. It sits at 14,504 feet, I believe, above sea level in the Sierra Nevada, uh, Sierra, Sierra Nevada mountains of uh, central California. And I first climbed Mount Whitney on the PCT. In 2010, it's about eight miles one way off of the PCT, and it's a very standard uh, alternate or um, you know standard detour to take when you're on the PCT. Climb Mount Whitney, climb the highest peak in the contiguous, and I did that on my PCT through hike. And, and when I did that again, you know, mm-hmm. such a formative, such a formative experience. I mean, it's such a beautiful mountain. There was just something about that peak, something about um, the the surrounding landscape something about being higher than you know anyone else in the lower 48 it just spoke to me in a deep way and in the years after uh climbing mount whitney on the pct i continued to go back and to this day i've climbed mount whitney five times now including the summit that i that i made on my on my pct attempt and including Mm -hmm. the summit that i that i made on this particular trip that i'm going to talk about um on my fourth attempt of mount whitney um, I decided to deviate from the standard route that I had taken almost every time that I climbed Whitney previously. Uh, th- this time, I-, I wanted to take a route called the Mountaineers route, and this is a much more technical route. Um, if you've got rock climbing gear, it can absolutely be a rock climbing route. Um, if you've just got, you know, hiking shoes, hiking boots, and and, and kind of hiking gear, it, it can be, uh, you know, a-, a route that can be scrambled. But but you're doing, you know class five grades of scrambling and it doesn't require technical gear, but you are very exposed and you are very, very high up again okay. on the shoulder of Mount Whitney. Um, and this is just different from the standard route that people take. Normally you go up the Mount Whitney trail, it's 12 miles one way. You climb about 6,000 feet vertical. Yes, it's tough, but primarily because you are at altitude. Um, other than that, I mean, the Mount Whitney trail is, is, is famous for having over 96 switchbacks <laughs> over the course of like a very short per- you know period of trail. I mean, it's, it's, you know, we take the altitude out of the equation and it's just, you know, it's not that difficult of a hike. This is the standard route that people, people go up when you hike the PCT, you come up the backside, but, uh, the mountaineers route is very different. It has a very different feel, a uh, little bit of bushwhacking, um, and a lot of, of technical scrambling at, ex- at, at, um, at elevation, um, you know, wh- while you are, um, while you're exposed a, a good deal. So, um, ended up getting my permits and ended up, uh, you know, driving up the portal road, ended up getting uh, onto the Mount Whitney Trail and breaking off onto the Mountaineers route. And the way that the, the, way that the, the route kind of works is you come to a lake around 12,000 feet called uh, Iceberg Lake. It's a beautiful lake. If you guys go on my, my Instagram page, you'll see pictures of it as well. Uh, beautiful lake. And um, you're, you're effectively like two very, very, very steep miles, two, three, very, very steep miles to the summit of Mount Whitney, but you're, you're camped literally at, at this lake, like at the base of the spires that lead up to the summit. It's so iconic. It's, it's unbelievable. And usually you'll climb up there on day one, make camp. And then early on day two, you will go up to the summit and either back down to your base camp, um, spend the night and then go down the following day on day three, or you just, you know, make the, make the full descent that, mm-hmm. that second day. 
Um, so had a pretty uneventful trip up to base camp, up to Iceberg Lake, got up there super early, made some incredible images, some of the best images I've ever taken, I, I believe personally. And, um, you know, went to sleep under a beautiful sky. I got a great night's sleep, woke up very early the next morning and started going up the Mountaineers route. And, uh, you know, I'd be lying if I said that it wasn't intimidating. I mean, the night before there was actually a gentleman as I was laying awake in my, you know, underneath my tarp, uh, at night in the dark, I could see a gentleman start to go up the Mountaineers route in, in the dark and he had his headlamp on and I watched him for almost an hour, man. And it's, it's intimidating, you know, it's, it yeah. is an incredible face. And I, I recommend anybody to at least hike up to Iceberg Lake and, and look at Mount Whitney from this particular, from this particular standpoint, because it is, it is truly iconic, man. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And, uh, I start heading up this particular route. I start heading up like, you know, this, this, this section of trail, uh, lead, leading out of Iceberg Lake very early in the morning, have a beautiful hike up. Uh, you know, there were, there were a couple sections that were a couple little catwalk sections that were a little intimidating, um, but, but nothing that I hadn't seen, you know, before being in the Sierra, being, being in the Sierra at high snow levels, even in the White Mountains, man, some of the real technical stuff in Hunt, Huntington Ravine and what have you. I mean, you are, you know, you're not at elevation, but you're, you're looking at, you know, some pretty big drops if you, if you take a misstep. So I was reasonably comfortable, got up to the summit, fourth time on the summit of Walt Whitney, um, turn around, come back down, get back to my, to my base camp super early, man. I think I was back down to my base camp before noon, right? So I'm feeling confident as hell. And I end up slipping into my tent, taking a nap, you know, chilling, just enjoying, you know, my fourth summit, enjoying being this, in the Sierra Nevada. The Sierra Nevada mountains um, outside of the whites for me personally are, are, are probably the mountain range that I've connected with the most on, you know, just like on a spiritual level. The Sierra, uh, the Damn, Sierra are, are unbelievable, man. When you go and hike the PCT, Kyle, like you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm stoked. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but slipped into my tent, slept for like four hours, man, right? So I wake up around four o'clock and, you know, we we're just talking about the the storm systems that come in in the Western United States, like clockwork. I get out of my tent and I can see like rain clouds coming in. But, um, you know, it's something like you know, four or five, maybe six miles down to my tent, down to my car, down to my truck. And I'm like, you know what? This isn't a big deal. Let's just get out of here. We'll pack our stuff up. We'll crash the truck or we'll get back into town. Let's just call this a trip. You know, it's going to be raining tonight anyway. Let's get out of here. Mm -hmm. And uh, pack my stuff up, man. I'm cruising down the trail. And at a certain point, you know, it's like, I'm just feeling very, um, you know, just, just very open, very adventurous, very curious. You know, I'm riding this high. I'm riding this wave. I'm alone in the Sierra Nevada mountains, this mountain range that I love at 12,000 feet. Um, you know, I kind of have like this little buzz going on, man. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. And I decide to get off trail. And, um, as I'm, as I'm getting off trail, I'm starting to, to hike down through this, this gully, this boulder choked gully. And so it's very, it's, it's almost like, um, the talus fields in the white mountains, like just picture the, the talus fields in the white mountains that have these massive, large boulders that you're kind of rock hopping over is very much like this. And they get bigger and bigger. And eventually they kind of leave out, they, they lead out to this, um, this, this cliffed out area, but, but it's not a cliff. It's not a straight drop. It's, it's, it's a steeply graded descent back down to the main trail. I can see the main trail, um, off in the distance. And, and, you know, this is a bushwhack at this point for all intents and purposes. And, um, you know, it, it sounds pretty gnarly, you know, 12,000 feet, it's starting to rain. You're bushwhacking by yourself in this year in Nevada, but I could see where the trail was, man. And I felt very comfortable. You know, there wasn't any kind of, uh, feeling of intimidation. And I start to dime down climb this very steep grade. 
Um, and I'm down climbing and I'm down climbing and the, and the rain starts to pick up. And eventually I get to the set of ledges, these, these, these granite ledges, and, um, they've, they've got quite a steep pitch to them, but, but I've sussed out this drop. You know, I, I feel like I had sussed out the drop. I had, I'd sussed out all the weak points. I had sussed out, you know, where I should head so that I'm not facing any kind of notable drop if I fell. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, I just didn't suss that out quite enough. So, so it starts to pour. And again, this is at 12,000 feet, 11, five, pretty chilly. Um, even in the middle of summer and, uh, the rain's coming down in buckets and these granite, these granite, uh, ledges, these smooth granite ledges start to get very slick. And so to, to kind of secure myself more, I get on my, my hands, um, I get on my, my feet and my hands kind of, um, you know, with my ass on the ground, kind of, you know, having five points of contact sliding down these, 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 these granite ledges. And, and, and honestly, like, you know, the, the ledges were steep, but they were not intimidating in a way where I, I truly felt like I was in the kind of danger that, that, that I now know that I was, mm-hmm. um, because as I kind of reached the end of one of these ledges, um, there was just this instantaneous moment, man, again, I'm sitting on my ass. I've got my hands behind me. I've got my feet out in front of me where I just felt all friction disappear, <sighs> felt all fr- friction uh, let loose. And, and it was one of those moments where you just instantaneously know what, what is happening, the reality of what you're, of what is happening. And, 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 and I, and I knew instantaneously that, that there was no, I mean, I, I remember kind of just trying, trying to grip on for a second uh, to the rock, like not knowing, not knowing what was beyond what I could see. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it was just so smooth and so featureless that it was just, I gave myself over to whatever was coming, you know, because I, it, it was very apparent um, that I that I could not grab onto anything. And mm-hmm. I, I went over this edge, man. And that's kind of the last thing that I remember. I don't have a clear vision of how far I dropped. I don't know how long I was in the air. I don't remember hitting the ground. Um, but I did I did fall at, at the very least, I would say 30 feet, Damn, um, maybe more um, onto what I can only assume is some kind of rocky, rooty, but you know, bouldery talus terrain. Um, I was, uh, knocked unconscious. Uh, so I, I'm assuming I, I hit the ground, you know, feet first and then hit my head because I was knocked unconscious. And, um, you know, again, this is about 12,000 feet, 11,000 feet in the Sierra Nevada mountains by myself. I'm off trail. Nobody has any idea where the fuck I am. And, um, I'm in a rainstorm, you know, I'm soaked through, mm-hmm. I'm cold as hell. And the next thing that I remember, I am walking down the main trail. Uh, so I don't have any recollection of, of coming to. I don't have any recollection of, of getting my belongings together or, or, or finding my way back onto the main trail. The next thing that I remember is I'm actually walking and there's blood all over me. I mean, mm-hmm. like my hands, my, my fleece, everything is covered in blood and I'm following somebody. And I, it, it's, very, it's very difficult to describe this experience because I'm, I'm coming to and I've kind of known that there's been an accident. I know that there's been a fall, um, but I don't know who this person is in front of me. I just kind of know that I'm following him. And I just know that shit is really, really, really bad. Yeah. And so who this gentleman turns out to be um, is a, um, a gentleman practicing emergency medicine in the San Francisco Bay Area who is also a rock climber who came up to the Sierra Nevada with two other people and was hoping to rock climb, was met with the same storm that I was. And, and basically, he left his team, uh, his, the two other people in his group, underneath a, a, a boulder hang out of the rain so that he could go up and kind of see if there was any tangible way for 
for him to climb, you know, for him to get his team up to climb. And, and as he was going up and just kind of checking things out, he sees me totally bloody, kind of stumbling around off trail, immediately runs over to me. I've got a, a massive, massive gash across the top of my forehead, massive, massive gash behind the back of my ear. He puts a, a bandana around my head and he starts leading me back to his team that is underneath this this overhang. So th- so this is what happened. I don't have any recollection of this. I'm just coming to as I as I'm following this man down to the down to the boulder overhang to to meet the rest of his team. So w- we turn the corner, uh, meet these two other people. There's another gentleman and a young lady there. They're obviously shocked. He's pretty shaken himself. Again, we're at 11,000 feet. Yeah. Like we're out in the middle of nowhere. Ain't nobody coming out there to rescue rescue me. Um, to to get down the mountain, there's more down climbing. There's more odd scrambly stuff. It's just it's kind of a nightmare scenario. And these guys are now kind of responsible for me yeah, in, yeah. in a lot of ways. So um, they get me out of my wet clothes. They assess assess the situation. They try to make contact with search and rescue just to like let them know what's going on. That there's somebody who has concussion at altitude, like. And that you know we're gonna have to spend the night out here. There's just no way that they were gonna come in. There was no way that they were gonna send a chopper in. It was like you know we 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 were staying out there for sure. Um, so these guys were just basically a lifeline, man. Like I I don't know what would have happened if I if I hadn't come across this gentleman. I I don't even like to think about what would have happened or what my what my chances would have been. I I just I don't know if I would have had the wherewithal. In, in the amount of time that I needed to have that wherewithal to get myself out of my clothing, to get my tent set up, to get something around my head to stop the you know, the massive amount of bleeding. These guys did all of that, man. They took me out of my fucking clothes. They put me into their, into their tent and I, I laid in their tent in my sleeping bag in a pile of my own blood, you know, a pool of my own blood um, overnight with this dude, you know, shaking me every two hours to make sure that I'm fucking good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a pretty dramatic experience. And it's like, I'm laying there for 12 hours feeling like I have just been hit with a fucking bus. Um, it was really, really intense. And, and, and the entire time knowing, man, that I was in that position, not because of anybody else, you know, not, not, and, and, and not even because I was, I was out there doing everything right. It's because I got brazen. I got overconfident. I got on a wave and I rode that wave way, way too long. And I ended up crashing into shore and I paid for it dearly. And that was really hard to sit with, you know, as well, not, not only for those 12 hours, but, but also in the coming days, because, you know, it's it, the, the incident certainly didn't end on the mountain. You know, the next morning we wake up blue sky, of course, you know, the way that, the way that, um, you know, it, it usually is in the mountains after, a, after a storm passes in the Western mountains, after a storm passes the next morning, everything is beautiful. But again, we still got to get down to the car, dude, several miles. Yeah. And there is down climbing, there's scrambling, like, and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling gripped, man. Like I'm feeling genuinely gripped. There is a fear in me that I hadn't really experienced before in the outdoors. And so we're, we're coming up to some of these down climbs and I'm, I'm asking this guy to belay me down these, no joke, man. I'm asking him to, asking him to belay me down. Um, some, some of these, some of these little down climbs because they just had me so nervous about falling, man. And I just felt like I was in such a fragile state. And um, yeah, luckily these guys were so accommodating. And, you know, they, like this gentleman just kept telling me like, dude, PTSD is real. PTSD is real. Trust me. Like, I understand, you know, like this is a serious, this is a, a very serious experience that you've been mm-hmm. through. And, you know, certainly had the, you know, the, just the, the true genuine 
bedside banner of a, of a talented, you know, mer- emergency physician. And, um, I, it, it was just, I, they were, they were such a lifeline to me, man. I don't know what, what would have happened because, you know, you get down to, you get down to the parking lot and then that starts phase two. First of all, you got to drive seven, eight miles down the portal road. Um, which the portal road is your in and out point to the, to the Mount Whitney trailhead. It gets you down to this town called Lone Pine. Lone Pine is a tiny, sleepy little mountain town in the middle of, um, the middle of the 395 corridor in the Eastern Sierra. Not much out there, kind of a, a kind of a, a, a tourist driven, but slightly, uh, post-apocalyptic feeling <laughs> wasteland in the Eastern Sierra. It's, it's a beautiful, it's a truly unique and beautiful place. And I, I hope everybody after listening to this goes out there, but, um, you know, it's a windy road, man, full of switchbacks and you are constantly kind of looking over the edge and, um, like that, that getting down that road was an experience unto itself. It was absolutely sickening to drive down that road. And then of course, you know, there's no way having a concussion, there's no way being as messed up as I really was, man, because yes, my, my head was opened up. Yes. My ear was opened up, but like, again, you know, I, I, I was feeling as though I had been hit by a bus, you know, in every kind of corner and crevice of my body. I, I definitely, I definitely experienced physical trauma, you know, beyond just the concussion and my head wounds. I mean, like I felt really messed up after falling, just sore and black and blue everywhere. And you guys will see the, the photo on the, the teaser photo for the episode. I mean, like my face blew up, man. It was absolutely insane. So just getting back to Lone Pine getting into their clinic, you know, cause there was no way in that condition I was going to drive down to San Diego and actually see an, you know, surgeon or see it going into their little clinic, sitting there for two hours, having this dude spend another hour, you know, gently soaking the bandana that had been wrapped around my head for a day. Um, so that he could actually remove it without like ripping more of my yeah. skin off. <laughs> um, and, and then actually going through the 18 stitches that they had to put in my face and then the 12 stitches that they had to, uh, put behind my ear. That was kind of like the insult to injury, man, you know, sitting there having this man put injection of Novocaine after injection of no- Novocaine into my face, feeling them work those stitches, you know, just a little gauze pad over my, over my face or, uh, you know, kind of like a, a little protective, um, gauze. So, you know, there's, there's nothing getting in my face, but having him, you know, effectively put these sutures in op- operate, you know, right, right next to my eyes, right on my face and, and then flipping me over and having to sew my ear up. Um, that was just, you know, those few hours there, man, gave me a real, uh, real good opportunity to, to, to think over the decisions that I made um on on that day and and really what could have happened to me um after the fact because this was um you know this was less than two years after my father died man you know i was still feeling the uh i was still feeling the um the 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 just reeling kind of grief you know of, of losing somebody that close to me and um i i knew firsthand it was very fresh in my mind what happens to your family when you lose somebody like that? And I, it was very apparent to me, you know, what my brother was still going through, what my, what my sister was still going through, what my mother was still going through. And the idea that I was effectively out there, putting myself in a position where I could do the same thing to them again, you know, less than two years later, I mean, you know, sitting, sitting there in the tent, you know, in a pool of my own blood, no exaggeration, thinking about that for 12 hours and then sitting there for several hours, having your face, you know, your mangled face, uh, you know, effectively operated on thinking about that. L- let me tell you, man, it, it definitely, uh, 
definitely conjures up some 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 realizations and um yeah it's just just that that experience man was was one for the storybooks and it, it taught me so much and, and really I, I don't i don't want to end it on such a negative note i just i want to i want to kind of conclude conclude saying this because it's super relevant for where my life is right now um so that was my fourth summit of mount whitney um and you know luckily i got to the summit of that mountain before i before i fell so i did have four complete summits i got out on my own my own two feet so i did have four complete summits you know the following the following summer um, I, it was very important and very important to me, man, to get back on that mountain, to get back on Mount Whitney, to get back to that high point. I didn't feel like I needed to do the mountaineers route again. I didn't feel like I needed to take all that risk, but I, I, I felt like I needed to get back on that mountain. And, and, and when I fell, um, this was 2016. Okay. So, so earlier that year, uh, I had done the double single season in the white mountains. I'd climbed all 48, 4,000 footers twice in, in a, in a single winter season. And this was kind of in loose preparation for the grid in 2016, you know, while I, while I fell, uh, on Mount Whitney, you know, Sue, Sue Johnson was out completing the first calendar, uh, calendar year grid. And mm-hmm. so when I came home after falling, um, you know, I was feeling deflated cause I just went through this accident and I, and also because, you know, of course, you know, this big dream that I had had just been taken on by, by, by a white, white mountain icon and done it so convincingly. Um, it just felt important the following year to get back out to Mount Whitney. And I went back out to Mount Whitney and I got my fifth summit. And, um, it, it wasn't until, uh, getting to the summit and, and jogging down off the summit that day. I remember it very, very vividly, um, having read about, you know, Sue's, Sue's calendar year grid, you know, and watched her, you know, execute that and, and read about it after the fact and, and reading, you know, having read the commentary at that, at that point from her about, you know, how you would go about putting the fastest known time for the grid together. If you were really looking to do the lowest elapsed days, like having all that information in my head, watching her do it in combination with almost, you know, losing my, losing, uh, almost losing my life. Um, you know, the, the year prior on the same mountain, like I just remember coming down into the trailhead that night, man, uh, after, after climbing Mount Whitney. And it was my first single day summit of Mount Whitney that, that last summit that I did, um, and I just came into my, I came into my truck with this feeling like life is so short, you know? And, uh, I knew that after my dad died, I knew that from the time that I was 16, 17 years old, man. Um, but I just came back into my truck that evening, the Mount Whitney trailhead, you know, the same place that I, I walked out a year before, you know, nearly, nearly dead. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just thought to myself, life is so short, man. And you only have this moment and look how, look how much can change in a year. And I, I, I genuinely, genuinely mean this when I say that in that parking lot, in, in the in the Whitney Portal parking lot, um, in in 2017, um, coming off my fifth summit of Mount Whitney, uh, that that was the moment that I decided that I was going to take on the the single year grid without a doubt. Um, I was out in California working, so I figured I would come home that fall and uh, work as much as I could that that fall <laughs> and and start training that, that 2018 with a, with a bid on, on the single year grids starting that, that following fall. Um, and I, I freaking, yeah. So like, what a, what a way to wrap that up. Like, yeah, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you were able to kind of circle it back to the single year mm-hmm. grid because we like haven't even talked about that this whole episode. So yeah, it's, a, it's all good, man. I mean, uh, your 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 listeners have the have the single year the single year grid story, uh, very very oh yeah oh yeah extensively in three episodes. But yeah, man, that <laughs> that was um that was a pivotal point in in my journey as a as a long distance hiker, long distance backpacker, long long distance runner, and also 
um, in, in the origin story of the single year grid, man. That was the day that I made the decision. So everything happens for a reason, my man. And, you know, um, you know, everybody, everybody kind of knows, uh, kind of knows the rest. The rest is history. You know, now we're here. So incredible, man. Philip Karsha. It's a pleasure as always, dude. Plug your shit. I'm sure pretty much everybody already knows, but yeah, yeah. I'll I'll take a real quick second here. So if you guys want to find me on social media, it's Finding Philip on Facebook, Finding Philip on Instagram. I also have a website, which is FindingPhilip.com. Uh, I also want to really quickly plug uh, a digital online speaker series that I'm curating right now. We're halfway through every Saturday in the month of April. I am on Zoom. And I am giving a presentation on a different topic. The first week was the single year grid. Last week was the White Mountain Diartissima. This upcoming Saturday at 7 p.m., I'm going to go uh, behind the scenes of uh, my artwork, my video work, my photo work, give you guys a little bit of context to how I shoot, why I shoot that way, what the images look like before I edit, what they look like after I edit, and how I use those to kind of tell my my story. And then the last Saturday of April, it will be an encore presentation of the single year grid. Um, these are totally free donation based, uh, presentations and you guys can jump on zoom. Um, like I said, every Saturday night in April, the zoom ID is always the same five, seven, six, three, one, nine, two, zero, one, nine. Easy way to remember that five, seven, six for the, the number of peaks in the grid three, one, nine for the, um, fastest known time and 2019-2019 for uh, the year that that was set. And then you guys just need a password to get into the Zoom chat, and that will be be the wolf, all lowercase, <laughs> one word. Um, so comment and join us. If this if this quarantine and what have you lasts into May, I'll also be doing talks on Saturday nights in May. Again, 100% free. And uh, yeah, just very graciously accepting any donations that you guys might be able to put forth for that. Um, but yeah, come join us. Come, uh, come follow along, man. Hopefully have some cool things planned for 2020 as well. And um, yeah, Kyle, it's just like always a pleasure, man. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity from day one to come on here and be able to, yeah, share my story with, uh, with your listeners, man. It's, uh, it's an honor. I mean that, man. Well, I, I really appreciate that dude and, and back at you. I mean, cool. your episodes are, uh, are among the most downloaded. I still get messages about them from time to time Sweet. and uh, you're still a very highly requested guest. So I'm excited to put this one out, man. I got to start editing this shit like right when we're done recording yes, to get sir. it out on time, but yes, sir. It's all good, man. Thank you so much, Philip. And thank you to everybody listening. That's going to do it until, until our next episode, whenever that is probably sometime soon, hopefully have a good one. Yeah, man. More coming soon. We'll talk to you soon, Kyle.